0: Alright, what's up Flatirons? How are you? We good? We good? I think it's funny to ask for a collective how are you, right? I'm always waiting for the one dude in the front row to be like, I'm okay! (laughs) You know, like, it's been a long day already. Um, uh, So this is our first week of our series, Magnify, which I'm very excited about. I think it looks cool. It sounds cool. I'm excited about the parable. And so let's just, I want to jump in right away. Um, Let's start with me explaining the parable to you. Uh, So... A parable. A parable is a metaphor if you don't know what a a parable is. Jesus told these all the time. Um, We tell them all the time. If you were here last series in Tree of Life, the whole thing is a parable where we take our lives and we say, let's kind of talk about our lives and then apple trees and then talk about growth and then maybe understanding these trees will help us understand ourselves. That's a parable. And our parable, like our metaphor for this whole series, is microscopes and telescopes and magnification, that's the parable. Um, and, like, you're smart people. I don't need to explain what a microscope is and what a telescope is, especially, you know, like, you don't want to hear my version of it because I flunked every science class I ever took. Um, you know what microscopes are, telescopes are. Here's the important thing to understand for our series it's this microscopes and telescopes help you gain a new perspective. Microscopes and telescopes help you gain a new perspective on reality. So that's what a microscope and a telescope does. You just see things differently from that point on. And perspective is very important, right? So, so uh, you know that perspective is important and it matters, and you especially know this if you've ever had toddlers in your house. Um, let me explain with my kids. So I got a couple kids. I don't know if the screen... Oh, it works. Hey, look at that. Um, look at that cool graphic. Yay, everybody who made the graphic. Um you guys didn't clap. That's what you were supposed to do. But <laughs> uh, yay, everybody who made <laughs> me um, So I got a couple little kids. I got Micah, who's two years old. I got Emery, who's four years old. And then I actually have a third on the way. That's them holding the ultrasound of our third kid. Um, thank you. Uh, the third one already is starting to look like me. I can tell. It's got the weird tail and all that stuff. Um <laughs> Those are my kids. I love them. I think they're beautiful. I, it's very exciting that we get to spend our lives together. Now that I've said all the nice stuff, um, the truth is their perspective just sucks so bad. Like their life perspective is terrible. Um, here's an example. Let's say that Micah, one afternoon, comes up to me and uh, asks me in, in the way that I've raised him, because he's a little gentleman, says, dearest father whom I adore... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, can I perchance have a cup of goldfish, you know, and let's just pretend he does that instead of walking up and going, like, goldfish, (laughs) or whatever, Um, and then I go to the pantry, and we're out, well, then when I turn to Micah, and I say, hey, sorry, bud, there's no more goldfish, like, do you want some Teddy Grahams, or whatever, do you think that my two-year-old Micah goes, now, Father, I know you work hard to provide for this family, (laughs) and (laughs) And so I'm okay with Teddy Graham's. Those sound delectable as well. That's not what happens. The second that I say, hey, dude, sorry, we're out, it's tantrum time in the house. And he melts down and he throws himself on the floor and he screams and he cries because, from his perspective, eating goldfish is like the penultimate experience a person can have on a Saturday afternoon. And so I ruined his day. Now, this might make me a terrible parent, and I'm totally willing to admit it. I really am. Um, but I have a joke that I do every time my kids melt down, which is, so let's use this as an example. Micah's melting down. I try to get his attention. So I'm like, Micah, hey, Micah, stop. Micah, look at me. Micah, look. And I wait until he looks at me. I, like, I really wait until he's like, we're connected at our souls through our eyes. Like, and he has this look on his face of like, Did the man find goldfish somewhere? Like he's just like so listening to every word, and I wait for that to happen. I'm like Micah, Micah, and as soon as we lock eyes, I clearly and I firmly tell him the truth, which is Micah, dude, life gets so much worse. And I don't, and he goes back to crying and I don't let up the whole time they're melting down. I just like, as I'm like putting Teddy Grahams in a bowl, I just keep talking. I'm like, dude, it gets crazy. It's rough. Like you're going to have to get your heart broken one day and you're going to have to worry about the bills and you could lose a limb. Like life is crazy. No idea what your future holds. And I mainly do that because it keeps me calm and entertained as opposed to like wanting to, you know, just abandon my children and leave. Um, but the reason the joke is funny is because it's about perspective. It's because I know and you know that five minutes from now, it's not going to matter. He's going to do the toddler thing where he just switches, where he's like, well, I'll take Teddy Grahams and let's go back outside and have a great day. Um, I know it's just perspective. Micah thinks it's the end of the world. I know it's not. Perspective matters. And not just when we're toddlers, it matters for us now. For my high schoolers in the room, or if you're older, think back to when you are in high school, when your baseball team loses the championship, when your volleyball team loses the championship, and you have that one friend, and they're, try- they're really trying to be helpful, but you still you have that friend that comes up and they go, hey, it's okay, like, it's just a game. It's like, well, okay, it's true. Technically, it's true that it's just a game, all right? I understand that when I'm 85 years old, I'm not gonna wake up in the morning and be like, Bumps that spike! Why didn't I, you know, I I understand it's just a game. But for right now, from my current perspective, it's much more than just a game. Right? I've like wrapped a lot of my time and my identity into this thing. Spent all season practicing, exhausting myself. All these games leading up to this one moment and then we lost. It's more than just a game. Like apply this perspective concept to the big stuff in life. The stuff that we know is going to last more than like a couple weeks. Some of us in the room are going through an ended relationship, a breakup, right? Some of us in this room are ending a relationship that we've had with rings on our fingers for decades. And if someone comes up to you and they say, hey, uh, it's going to be okay like there's other fish in the sea. Okay, sure, that's true. It's not helpful right now. I understand it's true that there's other people walking around the planet that we might be attracted to each other. I get it. I get that maybe 15, 20 years from now, I'm not going to be like sitting in a dark room listening to a, a sad Spotify playlist. I understand. But for right now, in this moment, from my current perspective, it's terrible and it hurts. Maybe you were here last week and you heard Jim um, talk about his personal story of like climbing his way out of financial debt and you had that moment last weekend that Jim had eight years ago, you had that moment where you're like, you know what, I'm going to be the spiritual leader of my home and I'm going to get this whole financial thing like under control and you went home and you took that unorganized box out from under your bed and you started sifting through receipts. But after like 15 minutes of receipt after receipt and like letters from Nelnet and warnings from Chase, you just got overwhelmed. And sure, okay, it's just money. You know, it's just paper that gets us stuff. And sure, yeah, maybe you do, You, you have your health and your beautiful family. Okay, that doesn't matter right now, I can't sleep at night. Because I'm worried about moving my health and my beautiful family out of the home that the bank wants back it's overwhelming so here's what I want you to do now I want you to think actually think of this what is the thing right now that from your current perspective other people's perspectives don't matter from your current perspective it's the thing that's like threatening to defeat you you're overwhelmed by it it's crushing you What is that for for you? For me, it's insecurity. I'm probably gonna have to have this dumb battle for the rest of my life. I've stood up on stage here twice and taught about insecurity and like the kind of confidence that Jesus brings into your life. I've taught about it, I still have it. I still wake up every morning like nearly suffocated by it. And I don't care about your perspective on it because from my current perspective, it's defeating every day. What is that for you? Like actually think of it in your head right now. And now that you're thinking of that thing for yourself, the thing that just every morning you wake up owned by it, here's what we're gonna do in this, in this series over the next few weeks in Magnify. It's this, we're gonna walk through the truth that whenever we have something in our lives that completely overwhelms us and threatens to defeat us, whenever we have that in our lives, it's always because of one problem, which is this we lost a clear perspective on our lives. We lost a clear perspective on our lives. In short, we microscope ourselves. We microscope ourselves. Here's here's what I mean by that. A microscope is really just a tube with lenses in it, right? And it bends these light rays and it like it, it may, the thing that you're looking at suddenly gets larger. It's the only thing you can see. And the only way to see it is to look through like this one tube, it's tunnel vision. We just tunnel vision this one part of our lives. It's all that we think about. It's all that we talk about. We end up tunnel vision. When we we microscope our lives, we tunnel vision on the thing that defeats us. We see nothing else other than that, and we end up magnifying it. We blow it out of proportion. We turn it into an impossible giant of a problem that we have to face, and that's not good because these problems were big to begin with. And this is the part that's so important to hear me say, I'm trying to communicate to you that I understand the problems are big and powerful to begin with. Because if you don't hear that, you'd be tempted to sit in the seat right now and think to yourself like, okay, wait a minute, are you saying that like, I can't even eat a meal, I feel so sick from all the chemo, are you saying I just magnified that problem? Or are you saying that, like, me and my wife, we just lost our baby? You're saying I'm just blowing that out of proportion? We were married for 30 years, and he's gone now. She's gone now. That's just a problem that I'm making, like, a bigger deal out of. I am not saying that. In the same way, like, on a sheet of paper, you know, insecurity. Like, insecurity is the word I tell people I don't want to tell everything to. Right, so like on a sheet of paper you might go like, dude, you're kind of blowing insecurity out of proportion, why don't you get over it? Don't treat me like that, because you don't understand from my current perspective what it's like to wake up and be a pastor at a pretty big church and have a wife and kids and kids on the way, and I love Jesus and I trust him and he's good and I still wake up with this thought in the back of the head of like, what if you just, you know, kind of ended all of it? you don't get it from my current perspective so no I am not trying to minimize what you're going through I'm not saying you're blowing your life out of proportion get over it I'm not saying that in fact I'm admitting the truth which is this stuff that we have in our lives is too big for us we are not strong enough to fix it if we were we would have fixed it by now What I'm saying is, we microscoped it, which we tunnel vision, it's all we think about and all we talk about and all we see. We blew it out of proportion. And we made it this thing where we can't see past it, which is bad news. Because our only hope for this these types of problems to to disappear or for us to survive these types of problems is to back up and see if there's anything else in the world that is more powerful and can defeat it, but we can't do that when it's all we see. We can't even begin to search when it's all we look at. So this problem we have where we magnify stuff, we blow it out of proportion, and we tunnel vision on the stuff that defeats us. Our only solution for that is this. We need to regain a clear perspective on our God, because the Bible teaches that God is for sure definitely powerful enough to help you survive whatever you're thinking about in your head right now. But we don't think that most of the time. We can't see it because we're over here there's stuff that demands our time like our wives won't get out of bed and we won't get healthier and the bills need paid and we'll think about this later but right now we have to deal with this i don't have time to think about god but our solution our only solution is to telescope god which means try to focus on and try to comprehend him See, an example, uh, without a telescope, if you're sitting in the backyard looking at Jupiter without a telescope, at best, Jupiter is some dot in the sky that like, you can sometimes see if you know where to look. But if you telescope Jupiter, then you see its vastness in detail. You see the colorful bands of all the, all the helium and all the hydrogen and all the other stuff I can't pronounce when I searched Jupiter on Wikipedia. Um... <laughs> Like you you see it in detail and it shocks you. It's amazing. But with God, what we've done is anytime we don't focus on, anytime we don't telescope him and focus and try to magnify him, anytime we don't do that, we reduce him. Which means we reduce him to just some distant dot in the sky. Right? He's just some distant, far away, disinterested old man in a robe sitting on a throne in this heaven place that is a trillion miles away from you and your very real problems. We don't even think to ask for his help because we thought, we just figured he's too distant and, and too busy to bother with us or he's too weak to help. Or we end up reducing God to a, like a fictional fairy tale with like nice moral lessons and that's it. Right, and so we end up praying and we follow him, but we're following and praying to a fictional version of the real deal. And the fictional, no, the fictional one doesn't exist. At that point, you might as well pray to Harry Potter. Nothing's gonna change, he's not real. We reduce God. So what do we do with this problem? What do we do with the fact that we have the kinds of stuff, we have stuff in our lives that we are not powerful enough to fix? And the only solution really is to quit magnifying it. And I, once again, I'm not saying diminish and I'm not saying ignore. That's never helpful. I'm saying stop magnifying. Stop tunnel, vision, tunnel visioning so that's the only thing we see and back up and weigh the true power of the stuff that's conquering you and then try our best to telescope and understand and comprehend God and weigh his true power and see which one is stronger. And that's what the whole series Magnify is about. The whole series is basically our circumstances versus God. Which one has the ability to define me? Which one holds the power to save me? Is it my money and my health and my success? Or, or is it my shame and my sickness and my failure? Or is it God. And I hope we discover together that God is the only thing in the world with that kind of authority and power. And I hope we begin trusting him with all of the stuff that's conquering us. But here's the truth. I know this. Like, when I think about myself, Ben Foote, and the stuff in my life that is conquering me, I don't just entrust that to anybody. I'm not just going to tell you that in the lobby. I know that, like, I I mean, I can count on one hand the amount of people who are living and breathing, who know Ben Foote's deepest, darkest shame and secrets and brokenness. I'm not just going to hand that to anybody. And so I know that before we can even start to look at the concept of handing the stuff that conquers us to God, what we first have to figure out is this can we trust them? Can we trust God? And I know that what we're really asking when we ask that is does God value me? That's what we look for in friends to trust. We look for people who value us and want what's best for us. And and so for today, let's aim the telescope at just that question for the rest of our time, which is does God value me? Because if he does not, don't trust him with anything. Why would you? Go read self-help books. Go try to fix your own life before you hurry up and die. Go put your trust in yoga or vitamins or money or whatever you do think has the power to save you from the stuff we've microscoped. But if he does value us, then it means we could trust him. And if we can trust him, what might change? So let's look at this, at this idea that helps give us clear perspective on whether or not we can trust him, whether or not God values us. And so much of answering the does God value me question completely hinges on whether or not you believe he created us. Now before... I lose you like before you're like oh my gosh you're gonna tell me you found noah's ark somewhere or something before any of that just listen to me and hear me out let me explain this all right so literally the first thing you find in the bible which means god must have considered it very important to communicate to people the first thing you find is this in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth So the very first sentence in the Bible, the very first truth God shares with us about himself is, God is your creator. Right away, this is incredible. It's very profound to think about. God says that he created everything in existence right now, everything. Whether you believe it or not, the claim is incredible, because it means, yes, it means, yeah, he created the vast solar system with all of its planets that other than Earth seem to exist for no other reason than they're just cool. It's crazy. And it means he, it means he created the fascinating, intricate, like, world of microbiology with atoms and molecules and DNA and blood cells, all this stuff that we didn't even know existed until recently. He, he made all this stuff that intricately connects in such a way that you and I can just, like, Breathe and laugh and and make kids and live. It means he created mankind with all of our like fascinating different races and ethnicities and our cultures and languages and societies. It's just like an idea he had. And it means this. This is the, the stuff that really blows my mind. It means he even created the little unimportant stuff. Like he made the world colorful just because like he made jellyfish like what is the point of jellyfish <laughs> of the animal kingdom that jellyfish are the ones that all the other fish are like dude get a job like you do nothing like why do you make jellyfish well just because here's the one that blows my mind he created this incredible phenomenon that if you crudely hit the right type of metal wire that's just at the right type of tautness, and if you crudely hit all of these types of wires at just the right times, then suddenly you're listening to Beethoven. Just this thing, he just made music for us. This thing where all these weird noises at the right times sound good, and then all of a sudden you're humming Taylor Swift in the car and you're like, dang it, I'm a man. Why am I doing this, you know? <laughs> like it's crazy it's crazy the the place that we live in our existence is magnificent our, our world is this strange combination of stuff that's absolutely necessary combined with like this weird like childlike reckless creation of stuff that serves no purpose other than it brings you and me joy This weird, magnificent combination of like he made food because our bodies need it and he made it delicious because he likes us. We live in this place that's incredible and it's good and God knows it's good. If you read Genesis 1, it says that he created everything and afterwards he sat back and Genesis says that he saw that it was very good. So in other words, God basically sat back and was like, this is pretty cool. Like, this is awesome. You know, like trees are just, were up here in my head. Like, I made trees. You know, I'm, I'm awesome. And it's the thing where he's like, hey, the whole caterpillar, cocoon, butterfly thing. I didn't have to do that. But I did because it's dope. You know, <laughs> like, that's basically what <laughs> what God does after he creates everything. And that would be totally egotistic for you or me to do about anything that to say about anything we create, but if you create existence, you get to take a day to pat yourself on the back and be like, now that's pretty good. He created everything. That's the claim the Bible makes. Now, I don't want to, because uh, I know there's a ton of us in this room that have this in their head, and I, I was in your camp for, for like eight, nine, ten years, something like that, All right, it's the people in the room going, Yeah, well, what about what do I how do I weigh that against science? Listen, I don't want to get into that argument today, and it's really not because I'm scared of it or ignoring it. Honestly, I really like talking about that. So, if you want to talk for hours, then we can talk about that later. I only don't want to cover it today because we don't have time for me to ramble about it. So, until then, please, can I just ask this of you? No matter where you land on the spectrum of, like, God or science or evolution or creation, for the next, just the next couple minutes, I promise, for just the next couple minutes, can you put that argument down? You can pick it up, like, five minutes from now. Can you put it down? And can you just clear your head to listen to the why? Can you listen to, the, to why we, the teachers at Flatirons, why we think it's so important to at least consider the idea that you have a creator? Don't, do not have to believe it, all right? And don't have to even figure out the how. How did he do it? Nope, just listen to the why. And when I'm done, you pick your argument back up. Well, I would actually love to talk about it in the lobby with you. But here's the why. Here's why it might be very, very important for you to consider at least that you have a creator. And it's this, if we don't have a creator, there is no hope. There's no hope for anything. Because you and I are just biological mistakes. We're just accidents bumbling around this planet, loving each other for no reason, hurting each other for no reason. And like wanting to fix all of it for no reason. Uh, who cares if you're a good person? What's it matter? Who cares about anything from social justice to recycling? What's the point? Who cares? This is gonna sound harsh, but if we are mistakes, who cares that you feel defeated now? Really, who cares? It's not important. Because remember, you're just a mistake of nature. Your feelings are biological mistakes, just strange synapses firing for no reason in your mistake of a brain. And and it means it, it means that even though you won't be able to do this because you're a mistake, you should stop feeling sorry for yourself because the universe doesn't care about you. The universe is a mistake. And whether you can admit it yet or not, the only logical conclusion for a smart thinking person to believe in if there is no creator, the only logical conclusion is you have no purpose, you just live and then you die and then you vanish, so stop whining. Because in this cosmic mistake, stuff happens. And that is exactly why, before I sound like the most emo episode of Bill Nye the Science Guy ever created, (laughs) that is exactly why in literally the first sentence of the Bible, God tries to make clear the truth that God is your creator because God knows, like I just explained, the hopelessness that lies at the root of believing that there isn't a creator. And so immediately, in his word to us, he tries to assure us that you're not mistakes and this place isn't purposeless and yes, the world is broken and it is messed up and so yes, you and I have every right to feel wounded. This isn't what life was supposed to be like. And even though, no, it's not his fault that the world is broken, yes, he's still in control, and yes, he will redeem it, and he will redeem you. That is Genesis 1 through 3. It's the first four pages of the Bible, and if we focus the telescope on that truth, then we begin to gain the clear perspective that there is a creator, and maybe he's powerful enough to help us. But it gets even better, all right? Let's not stop there. Because not only do we have a creator, but we have a creator who is still currently, intimately involved in creating. Let me explain that. In, in my favorite psalm in the Bible, which is Psalm 139, it's awesome, go read it. Uh, it's written by a guy named David. That's David and Goliath guy. That's the, this is a slingshot, and that's Goliath. Anyway, uh, so he wrote into the lyrics of his song, he wrote this, follow along as I read it. He says this, and he's talking to God. He goes, for you created... David talking to God, for you created my inmost being and you knit me together in my mother's womb and I praise you because I'm, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and your works are, are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame wasn't even hidden from you when I was made in the secret place and when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me, meaning every single minute of his life, even into the future, were written in your book before even one of them came to be. And what David is trying to explain, thankfully, is this. He's saying that God isn't also the watchmaker. He isn't the watchmaker either, meaning he didn't create all the inner workings of this world and then wind it up and step back to watch it dissolve and watch you suffer He didn't do that. He's still intimately, actively involved, and he's intimately and actively creating, which this is very good news for us because it means not only is God your creator, it means that God is your creator. Specifically, you, Ben Foote, made everything about you, your body, your personality, the kind of stuff that you're into, your sense of humor, and he wrote your life. Every day of it, he like wrote your story into his before you even had the chance to take your first breath. And then it means that he stood back like he does with all of his creations and after making you specifically, he went, now she is so very good. And he is so very good. I hope, I hope that people look at them and think that I'm very good for having made them. It's It's magnificent. And and this level of intimate, individual creation takes focus and attention to detail and love and pride and artist's obsession. And it takes time. And in a culture where time equals money and money is worth something, we of all people should realize that the Bible is claiming that God values us greatly. It's this incredible thing to comprehend that, that, that if the Bible's claims are true, which I believe, that the, that the creator of existence, the most powerful being in the world, took the time to make you. And he took joy and pride in doing it. But then it gets even crazier. So let's not even stop there. So all of this. The Bible says that all of this, like so it says that not only did God create everything you've ever experienced, not only does he still, is he still present and intimately, actively creating and made you specifically, which is already almost too magnificent to c- comprehend. Not only is all that true, but this is true too. The Bible says this, you are all sons of God. In this culture and context, sons is important because it means heirs. It means you can inherit what the Father owns. So it says that you are all heirs of God through faith in Christ Jesus. If you have faith in Christ Jesus, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And here's what all that fancy wording means. It means that if you've put your faith in Jesus, which means you believe that he is actually the son of God and he actually walked on the planet 2,000 years ago and he did pay to pay off the penalty, or he did die to pay off the penalty for your sin, which is the only thing separating you from a relationship with God. And then he died and came back to life to live forever so that you could too. If you believe that Jesus, the son of God, God in the flesh, did all of that only so that you and I, for our 70 years, if we're lucky, here on earth, don't, those years don't have to be anywhere like near our best or close to our end. If you believe in all of that, then immediately we become family to the most powerful, magnificent being who has ever or will ever exist. It means immediately Jesus steps between you and God and Jesus becomes the ultimate lens through which God sees you and you should see God, which means the split second you put your faith in Jesus, God calls us his sons and daughters and we get to call him dad. If it doesn't blow your mind, we're not thinking about it right yet. This claim is unbelievable. It's magnificent. This is the reason we come in here week after week and fight the traffic because it's too magnificent to comprehend. We need reminded every single week. I mean, this is crazy. And when you combine all of these truths, all these truth dominoes that fall over, right? Like as long as you can push the first one over, the God created you domino. When, you, when all these truth dominoes start to fall over, they all add into one magnificent truth, which is this. God, the creator of all existence, crafted you on purpose died to heal the broken relationship, rose again so he could spend forever with you and so you could call him dad and so he could step back and say, these are my sons that I'm proud of. These are my daughters that I adore and I'm proud to be their dad. The, the, the claim is intense. If five people think so. <laughs> so. So here's the truth. Um, I'm convinced, I really am convinced about that, about this, that it's like you can only actually grasp this truth like here and there in little doses that God allows, because I'm convinced that God, that God knows if he put on our shoulders the full magnificence of this truth, we'd be vegetables, we can't handle it. But if you can understand even just a sliver of this truth, that that God, the creator of all existence, crafted you on purpose, died and rose again so that you can call him dad. If you can grasp even a bit of that truth, it changes everything. I mean, it means that the very same God who set in perfect balance our entire solar system, the very same God who made animals and music and pizza just cause, and the same God who's the most magnificent, powerful being in existence, also hit pause and made you exactly the way you are because he likes his job and he likes you. And it means, and this should shake us, that the very same God became human and walked around this planet and hung himself on a cross just so he could call you his sons and his daughters and so that you could call him dad. It's... it's it's crazy, it's magnificent. And if you, if you can grasp the magnificence of that truth, then the question we started out with just doesn't really seem, it doesn't, it seems silly now. And I was like, because of course he values us, and of course we can trust him, and it would mean that there couldn't possibly exist a problem strong enough in my life, including all the stuff I've tunnel visioned on. There can't be a problem strong enough in my life that can get through dad. And and it would mean that it would be ridiculous to think, offensive to God even, to think that you and I, as sons and daughters, could possibly screw up badly enough to lose His powerful, infinite, unceasing, righteous beyond common sense kind of grace and love and forgiveness that is offered by Dad. It's too much but try to let it sink in that God the creator of all existence crafted you on purpose died and rose again so you could call him dad and if you are able to grasp that truth just a sliver of it if you had that moment where for just a split second it would like hurt your chest for just a second the word for that the word for the lump in your throat the word for the hair standing up on your arms the word is magnificent and if you're able to grasp this magnificent truth right now, then maybe, like me, you're starting to realize why it could be a good idea for the next few weeks to, take, to put down the microscope and pick up the telescope and instead of only looking at the stuff that ruins us, instead put it in front of us and at the same time try our best to comprehend the magnificence of God. And then see which one has the power to save my life. It could be worth our time. And so that's what we're gonna do. And next week, we'll start looking at the practicalities of it. But until then, like, what do we do? What do we do with this magnificence? If you were the person who caught the glimpse of it for just a second... What do we do with that for the next seven days and i want to tell you a story because i hope it illustrates what i think we should do with this magnificent truth for the next seven days so ali and i and the kids went up to uh, the mountains with jim and robin a few weeks ago and we went to like the mountains mountains right we're in the middle of nowhere which i already love and then the thing that makes it even more fun is there's a four-wheeler there Uh, UTV. Yeah. And it's a UTV, not an ATV. ATVs are like the crazy ones. And UTVs are designed for work. All right. So they have like little truck beds and they're designed to like haul elk meat and haul lumber and cool manly things, right? Um, That's what UTVs are designed for, is for work. But honestly, I just view UTVs as like finally someone designed a Jeep for people my size. (laughs) So I drive them violently and like at maximum speed, like right into puddles and up like, you know, vertical walls. I love the the UTV and the four-wheelers so much. Thankfully, my daughter Emery also loves these four-wheelers. And so she just like could ride all day long if I let her, you know, wind blowing her Hair blown in the wind, a big smile on her face. She loves it, um, and I actually we caught proof on video of how much M loves these UTVs. Check this uh, quick video out, real quick. Hi. Hi. One more time? Yeah. One more time. All right, go. Say, See you, suckers. Yeah, suckers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah she loves them. Um, And also we subtitled it because if we didn't, it does not sound like she says suckers at all. (laughs) It just looks like I'm raising this gangster daughter. (laughs) So we had fun in the UTV and a few weeks ago we go up to the mountains and just Em and I spent just hours going nuts in this UTV. And honestly it was already one of like probably one of the more cherished moments I had had with Emery at that point because it's just the two of us and that doesn't happen very often and we're just like out in the middle of this beautiful country and you know there's no tv and there's no phone and no annoying little brother there's nothing it's just like dad and emery and a utv in the middle of this beautiful wide open stretch of the rocky Mountains. so it was already a special moment for me even before the thing happened that i want to tell you about which is this so along this road, there's a couple cattle gates. And when, and when you get to the cattle gate, you got to stop the UTV, jump out, um, unlock the gate, hold it open, drive the UTV through, close, relock. So it's like the only moments of silence that Emery and I are getting because the rest of the time is, we're deafened by the roar of the engine and like our own maniacal like Joker from Batman laughter the entire time. And so it gets quiet and that's like a really our only moment to talk. And Emery likes to help with the gate. She feels very proud of herself. So we pull up to this cattle gate for probably the 20th time, for real. And she gets out, she helps me, she holds the gate and she closes it and then we get back in the UTV and I'm buckling her back into the UTV and there in the middle of this beautiful place, in the middle of that buzzing moment of silence, Emery finally said something to me for the very first time with a huge, genuine smile on her face. She looks at me and she goes, hey daddy, And I say, yes, Em? And she goes, hey, Daddy, I love being your daughter. I know. I like froze. And you have to understand that like, so anytime one of my kids does something brave or new or hilarious, almost out of habit now, I don't even think about saying it, I just tell them that like, I tell them, hey, I love being your dad. I just say that a lot to them. You know, so I laugh and I'm like, dude, Micah, I love being your dad. You're such a weird little kid. I love being your dad. And so you have to understand that Emery has heard thousands of times from me. Hey, Em, I love being your dad. And I figured she loved me back, but not until the moment in the UTV, Did I think she loved me for any reason other than like survivalist, (laughs) you know? Like I figured she loves me because I provide for her. I feed her. I help her learn very necessary life skills and put Band-Aids on her, scrape knees, all that stuff. I figured she loves me because of things I do for her. But in that quiet moment in the middle of those mountains, she finally said, hey, Daddy, I love being your daughter. And it was almost like she was trying to say that she knows, she knows all of her joy and significance and confidence and all of her identity is completely tied right now to being my daughter. And it was almost like she was saying that not only is that okay with her, but she loves it. And I don't care if you think I'm a geek or whatever. It was a tangible, holy moment for me. It really was. Like I just like got choked up and I got all teary-eyed. Like I am now, like I can't talk when I get choked up. And so I'm like trying to spit out to her, like thank you, thank you for telling me that. And I love you. I love being your dad. I love it. I'm just like kissing her forehead and like hugging her in this UTV in the middle of nowhere and we just took a break from our crazy ride and we sat in that four-wheeler and we said out loud that we love each other. It's like we took a moment to make clear our perspectives on one another and to declare out loud that we just like being related. And for right now, at least it's enough. We just took a break from the crazy ride, and we rested, and specifically, we rested in this fact. Hey, I love being your dad. Hey, I love being your daughter. And who knows what the ride ahead of us has in store, but for right now, that's just enough. It's just enough to be your daughter, and it's enough to be your dad. And that's what I think we should do for the next seven days. And you're going, what do you mean? Like, ride around in UTVs with your daughter? And it's like, no, don't ever do that. If you don't ask, I'll arrest you. Um, No, what I mean is for the next seven days, what if we did this? And it's summed up in a verse. This is Jesus himself speaking. And he says this, come to me. Stop going to all the other things that you think can save you. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest. And I cannot be the only person in the room who feels very weary and burdened and could use a little bit of rest. And if that's you, then Jesus says to us, he goes, hey, come give, give it to me, I'll trade you. Please give me all the stuff that makes you feel weary and burdened, I'll take it off your shoulders, I'll exchange it, I'll give you rest. And over the next few weeks in this magnified series, we'll look at all the practicalities, I promise. We'll look at what to do with our circumstances and our fear and our weaknesses, our baggage, our past, our sin. We'll look at all of that, I promise. We'll look at the how. Like, how do you hand those to a powerful God? And how does he give you rest? We'll look at all of that, I promise. But it can wait one week because you know more than anyone else in the room that the credit card debt and breakup and insecurity and shame whatever it is that has been defeating you it's it'll be waiting for you next weekend so we don't have to deal with it yet instead for right now for seven days can it just be enough to rest in the magnificent mind-blowing fact that God the creator of all existence created you on purpose died and rose again so he so you could call him dad can it just be enough for seven days that the creator of the universe sits back and says this is so you're so good I'm so proud of you as my son, and you're so good, and I adore you as my daughter, can it just be enough for seven days? We can do this. We can create the time. We can be strategic just five minutes a day for seven days to look at God like Emery did me and say to our father out loud, I don't know what you have in store for me. Well, I don't know what you're doing with my life right now. And when I think of the fear of the unknown, I lose perspective. And so for right now, I'm thankful that you call yourself dad, and I'm thankful to be your son, I'm thankful to be your daughter, and for the next seven days, I'm going to try really hard to just let that be enough. And you might be going like, hey, that actually sounds cool, but like, I feel guilty, I feel bad, right? Like it's been a while since I've spent quality time with dad, like he's not going to be very happy with me. Not true. Absolutely not true. It's not true. Just like me and little Emery when she finally said to me, daddy, I love being your daughter. Did I respond with, well, it's about time you said something. (laughs) Did I respond like that? No. And here's the one that's honestly not funny because it hurts, because we treat God like this all the time. When Emery looked at me and said, hey, I love being your daughter, did I look back at her and say, hey, I love you too. I really do love you too. At the same time, you do need to know though, and I love you, but you need to know, you have a lot of stuff you need to fix and you have a lot of habits that you have to break and you have a lot of stuff that you need to learn and get better at if you want me to love you as much as you like me. No, of course I didn't say that. And here's the truth. I have not held one thing against little M since the day she was born. It's also not because I'm patient. If you know me, you know I'm not patient at all. I haven't held one thing against sweet little M since the day she was born. And the only reason I've not held anything against her is because Em is not some stranger at the park. She's not some kid in my youth group. She's not my friend's daughter. She's mine. She's my daughter. And that's just me. Ask Allie. There's a laundry list of reasons why I am nowhere near a perfect father, but that's how I love my kids. So why do we look at God who defines himself as a perfect father, Why do we look at him and think he's going to treat us any differently? So here's our challenge for the next seven days. How might our perspective change if we took the things that are powerful and we're not strong enough to fix and they're ruining our lives, and then at the same time we tried our best at least to comprehend the magnificence of a God who created everything and also calls you son or calls you daughter, what if we just weigh those two things, and for the next seven days, for, in, in order for us to do that, we just need to take a rest in the magnificence of the truth that God, the creator of all existence, died and rose again so that you could call him Dad. And next week, we'll come back in here and we'll see if the very same God, the one we get to call Dad, is strong enough and good enough and trustworthy enough to handle his home. Including us, but can it be enough for just seven days? Let's pray, dear God. There's these little, tiny, brief moments where you hand us these these uh, these crazy moments where we can comprehend, just even for a split second, the fact that you're real. And you're every bit as good as you said you were. And you're every bit as powerful as you said you were. And you created everything and you still took the time to create me. And you made the sacrifice necessary to call me your son. It's just, it's, it's too hard to believe. We need reminded all of the time. But God, the the truth is that you have a room full of people right now who, like, we just have stuff in life that is demanding. We're trying to figure out what it looks like to be dad. We're trying to figure out how to pay the bills. She won't get out of bed, she's so sad. I'm not getting any healthier. This is stuff that demands our attention. And so we quit looking at you for a little bit and we lose the magnificence of your power. And so of course we feel hopeless and defeated, and of course we're just spiraling. God, what we're asking for for the next seven days is please, God, we'll make the time for just five minutes to say out loud to you, thank you, to say out loud to you, thank you for calling yourself dad and thank you for calling me son, thank you for calling me daughter. We'll say it out loud, but God, we need you to give us a glimpse of your magnificence and your power. We need you to give us a glimpse of that hope that maybe, just maybe, you are powerful enough to deal with all this stuff in my life. But it just doesn't. I can't comprehend it unless you reveal it to us. Please, God, reveal it to us. You have a room full of your sons and daughters baking you as a perfect father to do that. Please, God, for the next seven days, make known your power and your absolute magnificence in our lives. And if you do that seven days from now, we'll hand you everything. I know you'll do that because you're such a good God and you're a good dad. And I love you and I thank you already for it. And I pray this in your son's powerful name, Jesus Christ. Amen.